0: For your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, March 1st, 2018. See if we can note a few more ways in which the false claims from the charismatic movement put a heavy burden on people. It's not our theme today, but you'll we'll see some examples of that. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word, to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostlelets, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying Instead of the Word of God, you know, weird how that works over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that is put forward is far from biblical, far from what god's Word says, far from what Christians have historically believed, taught, confessed, died. Yeah, that's kind of an important piece of all of this. And instead, uh, it seems like everything is really geared to scratch itching ears, make merchandise of people, generally tell them what they want to hear. And uh, the person who gets left in the dust, uh, as far as the preaching is concerned, Jesus Christ and all of the things that he has done to save us. Very strange how that works out. In fact, I would argue that so many of the people today who call themselves Christians are not disciples in the truest sense, because they're not being taught and discipled in the doctrine that the disciples themselves left for us to be taught in, which is Christ's doctrine, that what they were taught in. Anyway, you get the idea. So uh, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. It's going to Gonna seem like we're you know kind of in a charismatic groove a little bit we are but that's not necessarily our theme today. Uh, we're going to begin uh, with a prophetic holy orders network information exchange syndicate kind of multi piece if you would. Uh, we're going to head over first to Crossroads Community Church in Winchester Virginia, and uh, we're going to listen to Wanda Alger as she claims that she's sharing. A prophetic word, and we're going to note that this sheer vagary as to how this applies literally can create some kind of really heavy burden that uh, people um, you know will be put under if they think that this is an actual prophetic word from God, because immediately the question comes up, if this were a revelation from God, how then am I supposed to obey what God is saying? And so uh we'll be listening to her we'll uh, head then over to White Dove Ministries YouTube channel and listen to uh, Paul Keith Davis as he reveals a prophetic dream called Qualified by Courage and uh, the the name itself you know qualified by courage uh, it gives you an idea of where he's going to go with this uh, prophetic dream that he claims that he received. That there are certain things that we're not qualified to do as Christians unless we achieve a particular level of something. And we'll let uh, Paul Keith Davis explain that to us. Um, probably before the first break, maybe after, we're going to listen to uh, Jeremy Nelson. He recently did a Facebook live segment, it was last night, in fact. And he's talking about a West Coast Rumble revival and a dance move, uh, you know, some kind of dance thing that's supposed to be released—a uh, rumba or a Roomba. I—I I don't know. Where. <laughs> we'll check in with him as he explains all of that to us. Then we will uh, check in with Bill Johnson from Bethel Church, Redding, California, and uh, his profundary, pseudo profundary, really. Uh, claiming that, uh, that that we must recognize the difference between contending versus resting in faith. <laughs> it just it doesn't make a lick of sense. Then to uh, round out our number one, we're going to listen to a very subtle twisting of Scripture from Catherine Runala from Glory City Church, uh, talking about taking hold of God's promises by faith. And uh, it, this one's slick. It, it's really, I mean, super easy to miss the twist here. Uh, and it's a form of narcissism, but it's it's a little bit of a spin off of that theme. And then hour number two, we're going to be heading to Freedom House Church as we listen to a Penny Maxwell and her sermon titled Sweet Dreams. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We've got a a lot of ground. I mean, a lot of ground we need to cover. And since we're going to start out in the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange, Syndicate, let's go ahead and do this.
1: So I was having this wedding, and, and we, uh, we, well, we didn't have we, Shabbat. Mm, Shabbat
2: Shandai.
0: Yeah, that's right. Infamous Heidi Baker. Our latest dumpster fire, which probably won't be out until the beginning of next week, is going to be featuring a a portion of uh, her nonsense, if you would, in the context of Michael Brown fully endorsing, full-throated endorsement of Heidi Baker. But that's for next week on our YouTube channel. Uh, let's uh, check in with uh, Crossroads Community Church. Uh, Wanda Alger is going to share for us a prophetic word about intercessors and in spiritual warfare, and she's going to be making the claim that we need to move from a position of warrior to a position of ruler, from uh, a sword mentality to a scepter mentality. And as profound as that might sound... It's so vague and vacuous of any applicable meaning that if you really believe that this is a prophetic word from God, this is going to stress you out. That's the best way I could put it. So here's Wanda Alger. Here we go.
2: Hi, I'm Wanda Alger, and I wanted to come and uh, share a short video Uh, A word that I have for prophetic intercessors uh, right now. I did just write uh, a blog about it, but I felt like I wanted to also do a video blog uh, on it. So I want to share some things from this word. But this has been on my heart actually for a number of weeks, even months, as talk about spiritual warfare seems to be increasing. There's no question that even as a nation, uh, we are seeing uh, fulfilled really a prophetic mandate that is happening even from the highest office in the land, and that is to tear down strongholds to see demonic systems uprooted in order for righteous rule to be established. And as I've been praying into this, I've just felt like the Lord has been calling me to to uh, ask for even greater understanding as to how to be effective in our prayers. Be-
0: All right, so this is apparently some kind of insight as to how to be effective in our prayers in this time of where God is tearing down strongholds and stuff. Okay.
2: Traditionally, especially in the charismatic movement, you know, we've talked about spiritual warfare for years. But I feel like it's some of the strategies and the ways in which we have approached warfare that the Lord is changing.
0: Okay. So the Lord is changing strategies. (laughs) Okay. New strategy in place. We're going to... No longer use the flea flicker. We're going to switch to the Hail Mary pass. Got it. Okay, so we're changing strategies uh, all up in here. So uh, that's very fascinating. She's claiming to be getting direct revelation as to a whole new battle strategy, if you would. And again, I'm going to note, if you really believe this woman is hearing from God, then you're going to be a wee bit stressed out because... My immediate question is, how am I to apply this so that I can obey what God wills regarding these the strategy for this new season that is upon us?
2: We are entering into a new season as a church. We are coming into a time of of the kingdom age, of kingdom rule. Where the whole reason why this stuff is being uh, displaced and dismantled is in order for heaven to move in
0: and for his. See, heaven wants to move in and stuff, and you know, so we've got to do some dismantling. So, I mean, this is vital. I mean, if we get this wrong, then heaven can't move in. No- notice, it's up to us. We've got to apply this strategy. And here's the weird thing: at the time I'm recording this episode of Fighting for the Faith. This woman has had less than, and I mean significantly less than 100 views for this video. <laughs> so, God, why did God choose such a poor, trafficated outlet for releasing this strategy that, if fully implemented, would result in, in heaven invading earth? Why did he choose to release it through this woman and her YouTube channel, and, you know, with, I mean, like, way less than 100 people have actually viewed this thus far.
2: To be established. And so, as I was praying about this, the words that very clearly came to my spirit is the Lord said, we are moving from a time of using the sword to the scepter.
0: Right. So, now, this is weird, okay? And the reason I say that is... That if you are familiar with Ephesians chapter six, Ephesians chapter six, which is the, I mean, quintessential passage as it relates to the armor of God, yeah. Um, that uh, there, there's a particular weapon that is mentioned there uh, regarding, you know, the sword, and she, if you consider its implications, it's breathtaking. So let me read uh, just a little bit from Ephesians chapter 6. I'll start at verse 10 for the sake of context. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Notice uh, that as soldiers in the army of Christ, we are called to stand. we, We stand our ground for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against rulers against authorities against cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places so therefore take up the whole armor of god that you may be able to withstand the evil day and have done and when you have done all to stand to stand stand firm stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, uh, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now you're going to note that the only offensive weapon mentioned in that list, everything else was a defensive piece of uh, military kit, That the only weapon was mentioned was the sword of the spirit, which is what the word of God. And so Wanda here is saying that we're supposed we're moving out of a time of using the sword to using the scepter, but the sword of the spirit is the word of God. It's the Bible. Why would God want us to lay down our only offensive weapon, which is the word of God, and exchange it for a scepter, which is not mentioned in Ephesians 6? Let me back this up so you can kind of see what I'm talking about. Let me play this again.
2: About this, the words that very clearly came to my spirit is the Lord said, we are moving from a time of using the sword to the scepter.
0: But the sword is the Bible. hmm So this woman is claiming that God wants us to disarm and instead arm ourselves with a scepter? Uh, no. We've
2: got to shift our strategy and our mindset as intercessors and as believers from being a warrior to being a ruler.
0: Y- 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 whoa. <laughs> Um, so this is, this is, man, not only is this crazy as to its application, okay, how am I supposed to operate as a ruler, but Ephesians 6 is still in effect. We are all soldiers. We are warriors. We are to put on the armor of God, and we're not to disarm ourselves. We are to keep our armor on and keep our sword in hand were not to switch from the strategy of warrior to ruler, no biblical text would make any precedence for this. In fact, if what she's saying is true, then Ephesians 6 no longer applies to Christians.
2: And as I continue to pray into this, I recognize that the difference may not seem to be that big, and yet it is. Because it has to do with the posture of our
0: heart. I agree. The The difference is ginormous. It's the difference between truth and error, light and darkness.
2: It has to do with the energy that we are expending. Uh, Psalm 45, 6 says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom.
0: Yeah, that's Jesus' throne, his scepter, not mine.
2: Now, we know the sword of the Lord represents the word of the Lord. And
0: right, it, the word of God, and you're telling us to disarm ourselves.
2: But it defeats the enemy. But ways in which we can use the word of the Lord, it's not only wielded with the sword. But it can... Which
0: is nonsense. Now, note, the, many a uh, uh, continuationists would argue, don't despise prophecies, but test them. Okay, well, this prophecy claims to be a prophecy and it fails to square with Ephesians six. In fact, it overtly contradicts it. And if I were to gullibly just swallow this so-called prophetic word and believe it, I'd be a wee bit stressed out because number one, I have no idea what it's ta- what she's talking about. But number two, she's literally telling us to disarm and to no longer be warriors. But that that God Himself wills for us to uh, to apply a new strategy. Kings are now taking the battlefield without swords, but with scepters. And she's misquoted a psalm, a messianic psalm, pointing to Christ's throne, not my own, his scepter, not my scepter. And uh, so we can see this clearly fails any of the biblical tests as far as it being a true prophecy.
2: Also be wielded with a scepter from the throne room. And I just felt like the enemy is trying to keep a lot of believers uh, distracted and get the worn out by spending a lot of time on the battlefield. And the Lord is called.
0: So it's the enemy who's trying to wear us out by getting us to be on the battlefield. Yet Ephesians 6 is written to Christians, and it's not the enemy who's trying to wear us out there. Uh, by telling us to get onto the battlefield, it was the Lord himself said to armor up. Yeah, so, I mean, this kind of fails all over the place, and I think you can see exactly why it does. But again, note then, if you were to believe this is true, how do you apply this prophetic word? How how do I start sceptering, you know, (laughs) doesn't make a lick of sense. All right, still under Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate, uh, we're going to be heading over to the YouTube channel for White Dove Ministries, and we're going to listen to Paul Keith Davis. And I want you to listen very carefully. Very heavy law here. Very heavy burden he's going to put on people. Uh, and this is uh, often time when you hear false prophecies and false, you know, and false doctrine, it, it puts a very heavy load on you because it doesn't properly distinguish between law and gospel and makes it sound like it, it's uh, it's based on your worthiness, your efforts, your preparations, your good deeds that make it so that the Spirit can operate or do the things that the Spirit desires to do but can't do because you haven't done the right thing. So listen, as uh, Paul Keith Davis puts a really heavy burden on people while claiming that he
3: received a prophetic dream. Here we go. One, uh, Paul Keith Davis here. Welcome to another video blog. Just kind of keeping with some of the thoughts that I've had over the last uh, couple of blogs, just basically outlining some thoughts and prophetic indications of how we posture ourselves for season we're in now, and how we
0: how we posture ourselves for the season we're in. And when you hear language like that, just immediately ask yourself the question: What does it mean to quote unquote posture
3: myself? How does one go about doing that? Position ourselves for the future. I feel like the Lord's giving some pretty good insight in that regard, and I hope the ones that we have done so far have been helpful. And I had another one that was kind of uh, a little different than uh, perhaps some of the ways that I would have presented one. But I had a dream this week, and I felt like in the dream, the Lord began to tell me what he's looking for to qualify someone for what's coming.
0: That's pretty All right. So notice what he said. The Lord is revealing to him what somebody must do to qualify themselves, to participate in what's coming. So apparently God's going to be doing something. And... You know, you need to pre-qualify yourself to be able to participate in it. Okay, this is not only heavy law, very heavy burden, but this isn't even biblical law because it's not based on, you know, the the Ten Commandments or something like that. But this is based upon something far vaguer, you know, this idea of you posturing and positioning yourself so that you can qualify yourself to participate in the thing that God's going to be doing sometime in the nebulous future. And, I mean, talk about stressing somebody out. I, I got—I want to be able to participate in the thing God's going to want to do. What do I got to do? I got to posture and position myself to make myself worthy. And, yeah, law, 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 law. No biblical text talks this way, by the way.
3: Important. It's pretty Important. What do I need to do? What are you looking for? What attribute are you looking for? And we know there are many attributes. I mean, God looks for humility, obviously. He gives His grace to the humble. So obviously, humility is part of that. And, and, and having faith and all these different, and love, of course, everything, everything is founded on the principle of love. I realize that. But this was something that was very specific that I felt like the Lord said this is something that can disqualify someone and this is something that can qualify someone for what's coming. So here's my dream. Just a couple of mornings ago in my dream, and I'll just give the very quick highlights for the sake of time. But in my dream, I was with a group of people and uh, these were kingdom people. These were people that I knew were believers and, uh, and and we were beginning to articulate truth—just basic, fundamental kingdom truth. Nothing exotic, no fringe doctrines or profound prophetic revelations. Just basic kingdom truth.
0: Yet this so-called dream is totally fringe and not basic biblical doctrine. Isn't that fascinating?
3: Was being expressed in the crowd that the people that I was observing. We're not willing to stand on that. They were very, they were vacillating back and forth and they were wavering in their commitment to that simple truth. And I'm, I'm getting more and more agitated in my dream, of course. I'm getting more and more agitated and I'm like, what is wrong with you people? This is just basic truth. Why are you being cowards? And the more I began to confront the issue of cowardice, the more pronounced it became until eventually the people were almost denying very basic truth. And in my dream, I was just in their face, very confrontational, very aggressive, much more so than I would ever be in the natural, just confronting the issue of cowardice. And I was just forceful and belligerent and and unwavering on this issue of being cowards, that there are no cowards in the kingdom of heaven. That's what the Bible tells us. And so I was just confronting the issue of cowardice and challenging the people to have courage. That was the essence of my dream. A few other things went on, but that was the essence of it. And I was deeply troubled when I woke up. I was very troubled by that. Not only because of the of the issues of the dream, but my reaction. Because I would think that I would I was almost aggressive. And I thought, surely, Lord, I wouldn't be aggressive like that, you know, Uh, personally. I I, I began to look at my own nature and my own qualities, you know. And then I remembered what Bob Jones always taught me. He said, whenever you have a dream like that. Bob Jones, false prophet extraordinaire,
0: very dangerous man who's now dead.
3: Don't take it personal. Take yourself out of the formula and re-look at the dream just from a general spiritual perspective. And when I did that, I felt like the illumination came. And I could hear the Holy Spirit say, no, that's the way I feel about cowardice. That's the way I feel when people are not willing to display courage to stand up and believe and fight for what they believe in. And I knew then when I, when I had that, that this was a revelation the Lord has given me for 2018 and follows, that what can disqualify people is cowardice. And what the Lord is looking for is courage.
0: Yeah, so your cowardice can disqualify you from the thing that God wants to do. And notice he was talking in terms of warring, not in ruling. So apparently, God the Holy Spirit still wants to employ the warring strategy, not just the the news the new ruling scepter strategy thingy, yeah, contradictory um <clears throat> prophecies, if you would, very, very strange. Let's see if we can throw this in here uh here's Jeremy Nelson. Uh, from last night's uh, Facebook Live session talking about the West Coast Rumble Revival Tour and a new dance move that uh, that's coming to the West Coast. Hey, I'm not making that up. Here we go.
4: What's up, you guys? How are you? Super excited to talk to you today about the West Coast Rumble Revival Tour. We're on our second week, and we are in Bakersfield, California with our good friend Tony Kim and renaissance church and we are excited for what god is doing Uh, listen for many of you that have been following us in san diego we've been hosting the fire and glory outpouring for uh you know two solid years now on january 25th was our two-year anniversary and uh listen just a few weeks ago the lord began to speak to us uh about revival in america about revival on the west coast and uh and so anyway we're stepping into a whole new season and for those that have been following us, you know, in San Diego with the fire and glory outpouring, you know that we've been going five nights a week for over two years. We're, we're going strong and we're not slowing down anytime soon. And uh, anyway, if you've been following us, you know that uh, the whole thing in San Diego was birthed with a prophetic word from James Gaul. He gave a, a word that uh, God the Father.
0: James Gaul, another famous false prophet.
4: Going to step his right foot out of heaven. He was going to put it on the West Coast. And uh, he said that it no longer would it be called the left coast, but it'd be known for miracles, signs and wonders, purity and righteousness. And, uh, and, and he, he prophesied that God was going to release a new uh, move of the spirit in the West Coast that would release a new dance step. He said that God would do a new dance step and be called the rumba. And- mm-hmm.
0: So according to the prophet James Gall, uh, you know, the West Coast rumble revival will result in a new prophetic dance step called the rumba. You can't make this stuff up.
4: Would release the rumble of his spirit that would awaken.
0: The rumble would release the rumble, right?
4: Church bring breakthrough to many, and uh, and what's amazing is he prophesied uh, to both my wife Moran and I the week before the revival broke out in San Diego that we were going to see revival in San Diego. The fire was going to fall there first. And then that we would spearhead, uh, you know, spreading that fire all over the West Coast, all over the United States, all
0: over. Yeah, they're uh, spiritual arsonists there. Yeah, I think you get the idea. So uh, those of you who haven't learned the new prophetic dance step known as the West Coast Rumba that releases the Rumble Revival. <laughs> I <laughs> you just, you uh, what has happened to people's brains it's literally they they are literally fried is the best way I can put it alright we're up on our first break if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you could do so my email address is fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on facebook facebook.com forward slash christian. follow me on twitter my name there at christian. quick break when we come back we will also, we're going to be heading to Changepoint Church. We're going to hear from Bethel. We got a Catherine Rinala. Stay tuned. I don't want to miss and We'll be right
5: back. If you're a weather warrior, it's time to lay
3: down your weapons. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian
6: Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. ha. <laughs>
7: Holidays Bird Cage Theater presents Church Day Select. I don't know why we have to come to these small group sessions, they're just so boring. <laughs> Hey, do you find that small groups just aren't that interesting or fun anymore? That's quite literally what I just said. Then we have the product just for you! New from Most Lobos Ministries is Beth Moore's Biblical Madalids. Well, what is it? Simple! Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs are an entire booklet loaded with fill-in-the-blank Bible passages. Aren't we supposed to read the scriptures the way they were originally written? None of you want to spice up your small group Bible studies. With Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs, you can make every passage be about you. Isn't scripture about Jesus? Only if you want it to be. In our postmodern age, it's stupid to think that such a thing as absolute truth actually exists. Every passage is open to interpretation. Read the example.
8: But now that you have been set free from financial debt and have become warriors of God, the fruit you get leads to better sex and eternal life. For the wages of sin are smelly diapers, but the free gift of God is a really good tax return in Jesus Christ our Lord.
7: That was absolutely heretical. Why would anyone butcher scripture like this? Because modern-day Christians like you don't endure sound doctrine. By popular demand, you've appointed leaders in the church who've given your itching ears what they want to hear and haven't looked back since. Ha! Suckers! This is just horrible. If you thought it couldn't get any worse, then you're just as foolish as Naval. We've already expanded the Biblical Mad Lib franchise to include alternate Bible translations. That can't be good. You're right! It isn't! We now have Biblical Mad libs in The Voice, the NIV, the KJV, the NKJV, and, for a limited time only, we have the verdict Audaciously Revised Translation. Wait. Doesn't that last one spell... Yes, it does spell fun. Not just fun for you, but for the entire small group. We've even created a Biblical Mad Libs Junior Edition to get the kids' twisting scripture from a young age. I would never buy this for my children. Lucky for you, you don't have to. We're handing out free copies to every youth group in the nation. Plus, we're also including a special copy of Elevation Church's The Code Coloring Book for a little extra heretical flavor. You're not going to get away with this. You can't stop us. We're already in control. Resistance is futile.
0: for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today.
6: Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) (laughs) What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To r is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash referbanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game referbanda and join the fight for the fate today
0: right, we're back Uh, Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that people receiving direct revelations from God are going to lay you down with heavy burdens that you have no clue how to fulfill just a reminder fighting for the faith is listener supported radio that means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring fighting for the faith to into the world and you can partner with us it is a partnership visit our website fightingforthefaith.com when you get there you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons one says donate the other says join our crew the other says become a patron when you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Rank is determined by your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at nine dollars ninety-five cents a month. After that, Gunners made at twenty-four ninety-five a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month and then quartermaster, ninety-nine ninety-five a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or You can become a patron by clicking on the Become a Patron button, and that'll take you over to Patreon. And if you'd like to support us the traditional way, or the the old-school way, you can make your gift payable, to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support, because we truly, honestly, cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, moving along, I'm going to make an uh, executive decision here, and that is, is that we're going to go straight to our Bethel update so that we can spend a little bit of extra time with uh, Catherine Runala. So that being the case, let's do this. Ladies and gentlemen, the truth is out there somewhere, but that somewhere is not Bethel Church, Redding, California, run by the Apostle Bill Johnson, who was one of the Apostles, one of three Apostles present for Todd Bentley's Apostolic Alignment Ceremony. We are confident, again, that the truth is out there somewhere. But if you're looking for it at Bethel, you won't find it there. All right, let's uh, head over to Bethel then. That being the case, see if you can make heads or tails of this from a recent Bethel moment uh, published on February 27th. And you can find this at Bethel TV's uh, YouTube channel. And uh, we're going to note that... uh, we're going to hear a lot of stuff here that's going to sound really profound, but the problem is is that this is what is called pseudo profundity. and of course the people there at Bethel are well-trained, on cue, when Bill Johnson says something that means nothing, that they are to gawk, and ooh, and aw, and gush, and blah, and you kind of get the idea. Here we go.
5: Whenever the Lord is highlighting a situation and or a season to you where you obtain through the violence of faith, he's, it's because he's wanting you to learn your authority. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I, uh, uh, I'm at a loss here. I heard words. Nothing that he said makes any sense, but there were people going, oh, yeah, that's right. No, not only is it not right, it's like not even wrong because what he said doesn't make any sense. It's again, this blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. Let me back this up. See if you can figure this out. Here we go.
5: Whenever the Lord is highlighting a situation and/or a season to you, the Lord is
0: highlighting a situation or season to me. Got it.
5: Where you obtain through the violence of faith, he's, it's because He's wanting you to learn your authority. Yeah,
0: I'm pretty sure that's not even grammatically correct. That Was that a fragment sentence? What was that?
5: But when he wants you to be still yeah. and receive by faith, to receive as a child, then he's wanting you to learn your identity. And... Do you have
0: any biblical texts that say anything even remotely approaching these weird, pseudo-profound pontifications and bloviations of Bill Johnson?
5: Seasons where the thing that's on his mind is authority. And that's what he wants us to know, is how to use the authority that he's given to us. And then he switches it in the very next week. And all of a sudden, we have to be in a place of rest.
0: See, yeah, because you could get switched really quick and you could be thrown right into a place of rest like, you know, like that, you know.
5: Okay. Try to fight and get breakthrough and obtain this and obtain that. We confess, we declare, we march, we fast, we wave our flags, our tambourines and every other Christian toy known to mankind. We use them to bring breakthrough and nothing happens.
0: Right. So if your flags and tambourines don't bring breakthrough... That may be a sign that God switched you up and made you put you into a rest season,
5: because until we discover who we are and come into a place of rest in that identity, nothing is released to us.
0: Right? You can't get a release, and if you're in a rest season by using flags and tambourines and things. Right. I, the, the, what, there's nothing about this. This Christian. I mean, this is just gobbledygook why are these people sitting there soaking this stuff up and thinking they're being fed a biblical
5: meal so these are two different seasons and two different approaches to the kingdom how do you know what season you're in
0: yeah that's a legitimate question how do you know if you're you're in a warring season or a resting season i mean yeah, but then again, we just heard from you know that Wanda lady that there's the there's the scepter season strategy thing going on right now, too, apparently,
5: yeah, well, just try the one you want, and if it doesn't work, then try the other. <laughs> oh my
0: goodness, oh my goodness hm. How do you know which season you're in? Try one, if it doesn't work, then you're in the other. Well, there you go. That's some great troubleshooting advice. There. Um, what makes you think that any of these so-called seasons are biblical?
5: I I wish so much I knew. I wish.
0: Believe me, I listen. I didn't take this quote out of context. Bethel Church from Redding, California. They put this on their YouTube channel for all the world to see. This they considered this to be one of those great wow moments in Bethel history that they needed to share with the whole world on YouTube I, th- th- this is really embarrassing for them but they think that this oh this is these are pearls from heaven no
5: they're not I, knew, I, I there's a, a, a certain percentage of my prayer life that fits in the frustration category I know that most of you are too spiritual for that but it fits in the frustration category because I don't know what to do I don't know if I'm supposed to come out swinging or if I'm supposed to sit in the recliner and wait. And it's just one of those things you'll never step into out of a principle. You'll only step into out of a relationship.
0: See, if you're in the relationship, then you'll step into it because you'll try the one, and if it doesn't work, then you can know you go to the other. Because oh man, this is so so. Just vapid. This is devoid of any actual meaning at all. And everyone there thinks that this guy is, that he literally hung the moon uh, with Jesus during
5: the creation. And a lot of what we try to do in the kingdom is we try to reduce to a concept instead of a walk, a journey. So here we have this beautiful story where Jesus is so tender with children, and then we move right into the story of the rich young ruler. Uh huh. So
0: there you go, yet another pearl from from no, that wasn't a pearl from heaven. Uh, that was a flaming uh, ball of sulfur from the pit of hell, and people there are sitting there going, "Oh, it has Holy Spirit fire on it." No, that that's the fire from hell. That none of that is anything that jesus's disciples believe taught confessed any of the church fathers believe taught or confess it's just total nonsense all right moving along let's do this for uh, glory city church what
8: do you want to do tonight
0: same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. They're Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky
6: and the Brain.
0: One it's is a genius, the other's insane. they
6: laboratory mice. the team has this mice.
0: They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. brain. Before each night is done, the plan will be unfurled By the dawning of the sun They'll take over the world
6: They're Pinky and the Brain Yes, Pinky and the Brain Their twilight campaign Is easy to explain To prove their mousy worth
0: They'll overthrow the earth They're Pinky, they're Pinky And the Brain, 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 Brain Brain, 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 Brain Sarf! All right, so we're heading over to Glory City Church. Catherine Runala, she is part of the New Apostolic Reformation. Her her apostle is Shay On, and uh, you know they're they're moving forward apostolically there at uh, Glory City Church. And this I found from their uh, February 25th message. The name of the message is "Taking Hold of God's Promises by Faith." Catherine Runala engaged in a really slick, very subtle twisting of Scripture, and uh, she, she delivered it. Perfectly. If you're trying to hide your Bible twisting, uh, she did it so artfully that, uh, I mean, even some of the mo- more skilled exegetes may have missed how she done it. So we're going to walk through uh, this portion of her sermon as we listen to her telling the story of the uh, woman with the uh, issue of blood. And how certain things are supposed to, that we are supposed to apply them to our own lives—very fascinating twist. But uh, here's Catherine Rinala to set this up, and we'll explain along the way. Here we go.
8: No, so I have been uh, working my way through the Book of Luke these past eight weeks, and just really just taking a chapter a week. Um, wasn't intending to do that, but it's just so rich. The book of Luke is so rich. Anybody else found that? It's just like, oh, it's just too good to move on too quickly. I've been reading it uh, this time in the Passion Translation and looking at all the footnotes. It's just
0: uh, rich. Yeah, the Passion Translation is the translation used primarily in the New Apostolic Reformation, and it's not a translation. It is an abomination. It is as bad and, it, I would argue, worse Than the Jehovah's Witnesses translation, known as the uh, New World Translation, which was clearly designed to purposely twist God's Word in order to make it appear as if the Bible teaches uh, the doctrines of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, when it doesn't. Same thing with the Passion Translation. I would go through the archives of Fighting for the Faith and look for the conversation I had with Pastor Jervais Nicholas Edward Charmley regarding the Passion Translation. It is wickedly dangerous.
8: Delicious. And sometimes we can rush through a little bit in our reading and, and miss, through familiarity, uh, the revelations that the Lord wants to bring. The Word of God is living. It's active. And there's daily bread that God has got for you every single day. Like, you personally. Daily bread for you. Every day. But I think sometimes we miss it because we just can, through familiarity, just sort of uh, not recognize the dinner bell that's ringing as you're reading it. It's like God's ringing a dinner bell as you're reading, and he's waiting for you to say, I'm going to go and eat that. Let me just stop. I want to just, I want to unpack that. I want to eat it, and I want to to enjoy it. So I, I do encourage you. He's laid a banqueting table before us in the presence of our enemies. Hallelujah. His invitations are all around, but he's waiting for those who will turn aside and listen. Just like when Moses saw the burning bush.
0: Just like Moses when he saw, as soon as you turn aside and listen. That's a weird twisting of Exodus 3.
8: Just run home and say, hey, honey, guess what I saw? I saw this bush and it was burning, but it wasn't being consumed. Isn't that amazing? He didn't do that. when he.
0: Nor would that make any sense.
8: He actually turned aside to have a have a better look, to really give it his attention. And when he gave it his attention, he, he was commissioned by God.
0: See, a... and when you give it attention, you can be commissioned by God, too. That's the implications of the argument that she's making, which is a bad one. ...season.
8: And, you know, I believe that we need to be careful to not just... In this season that there is such an outpouring happening, to recognize the dinner bells that are ringing. It's-
0: so we have to recognize the seasonal dinner bells that are ringing. Right
8: different invitations that we've seen i mean you can look at this magnificent painting that Donna's just done and you can go oh isn't that lovely or you can hear a dinner bell ringing ringing and go what are you wanting to say to me god what do you want what's the invitation that you want me to come into you can hear a good message and you can go yeah that was a good message or you can actually take it and go okay god my heart's resonating on the inside how do you want me to resp- how do you want me to respond
0: and all of this by the way is preparation for what's coming She's already starting to lay doctrinal track here. This is not throwaway stuff. This is already her starting to build her false theology.
8: I want to connect with you in that word. So I was reading um, uh, the other night from Luke 8, and I want to go there again if we can. Hallelujah. And I was reading about the story of the woman with the issue of blood. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, you can do that. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation today. Hallelujah. So that might be... um, If you don't have that, you may want to just listen. Thank you, God. We listen to... I read lots and lots of different translations. So um, I've got like 14 different Bibles on my iPad that I, I look at different versions because we read... A translation of another language, and there is no English version that completely encapsulates the the original languages. So don't get too precious about your translations. Some people back their translations like they back a football team, you know, only this for me. And it's like you might, you might be missing out. So do encourage you to investigate. Possibly a range of different translations. And then to look it up in the Greek and the Aramaic. And, and just, that you can look at, you can get Strong's apps that you can download. And just study it out because it is so, so exciting. Hallelujah. We're going to look at verse, hallelujah. Where am I? going to go a bit further.
0: We're going to look at verse hallelujah. Got it.
8: Have a look at verse 43.
0: Okay. Luke 8, 43. I'm there.
8: The story is that Jesus was on his way. Uh, He was walking and there was a crowd of people around him. And Jairus had come and said, please will you come? My daughter's really sick. And so Jesus had said, okay, I'm on my way. And he was making his way. There were people crowding all around him. And in verse 43, it says, In the crowd that day was a woman who had suffered greatly for 12 years from slow bleeding. Even though she had spent all that she had on healers, she was still suffering. Pressing in through the crowd, she came up behind Jesus and touched the tassel of his prayer shawl. Instantly, her bleeding stopped and she was healed. Hallelujah!
0: Yeah, what I find fascinating is, uh, touch touched the tassel of his prayer shawl. Yeah, that's not what he... Did or she did? Jesus, like every Jew of his day, wore the sittioth, which were the tassels that came off of his shirt, not his prayer shawl. Fascinating. That's even a an error there in the Passion translation. Okay, so she's reading it out, kind of from a bad translation that you should avoid, like the plague. But that all of that aside, the question then is, what does it mean? How, how does this apply then to us?
8: Jesus suddenly stopped and said to his disciples, Someone touched me. Who is it? While they all denied it, Peter pointed out, uh, Master, everyone is touching you, trying to get close to you. The crowds are so thick, we can't walk through all these people without being jostled. Jesus replied, Yes, but I felt power surge through me. Someone touched me to be healed, and they received their healing. When the woman realized she couldn't hide any longer, she came and fell trembling at Jesus' feet. Before the entire crowd, she declared, I was desperate to touch you, Jesus, for I knew if I could just touch even the fringe of your robe, I would be healed. Jesus responded, Beloved daughter, your faith in me has released your healing you may
0: go with my peace. Your faith in me has released your healing. boy, oh, This is a really bad translation. Holy smokes. All right. Verse 48. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your faith has made you well go in peace that's different than your faith has released the healing which is nar false charismatic theology there
8: yeah a beautiful beautiful word and we love the word of god
0: yeah i love the word of god too and it's the word of god that i love that says that women aren't supposed to be preaching yeah sorry first corinthians 14 first timothy 2
8: But there's many things that could be said about this wonderful story. But as I was reading that the other day, the Holy Spirit just really began to challenge me. I, I, looked if, I looked Okay,
0: so she read it, and the Holy Spirit is now challenging her. So the Holy Spirit is now working the application. And so you'll note that this application has as its source the Holy Spirit himself who inspired the very Word of God to be written.
8: Up in uh, the footnotes there in the Passion Translation, and Brian Simmons points out that the the tassel of his robe, the, the tassel of the prayer shawl was actually symbolic of the promises and the commandments of God. And as she pressed through to touch the hem of his robe, she was connecting with a promise. She was connecting with the Word of God.
0: Yeah, no, not exactly. And this is where knowing what the tzitzit are, is the tzitzit actually, is what the, it's all about, really is helpful. So the commandment regarding these fringes of the garment, these tassels, Numbers 15, 37 through 40, Numbers 15, 37 through 40, let's read this out and then uh, we will... From there, you know, take a look at one other text, uh, and here's what it says. The Lord said to Moses, "Speak to the people of Israel, tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, to put a blue a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. It shall be a tassel for you to look and to remember all the commandments of Yahweh to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes which are you're inclined to whore after." So that you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. Yeah, the whole purpose of the Sitzioth was a reminder regarding the commandments. The commandments are not based on a promise. The commandments are their law, not gospels. So what she's saying here is a note that is in uh, you know the Passion translation. Is uh, it, I'm sorry. The note is based upon false biblical scholarship and doesn't recognize uh, that Numbers fifteen thirty-seven through forty is the place where the the oath first show up, um, and then Deuteronomy twenty-two twelve. You shall make for yourself tassels on the four corners of your garments, which you shall cover yourself. That you know again is the command you know given. So th- that's where these things come from, and they're not indicative of promises. They're to remind you to do all the commandments of the Torah that is their purpose, and Jesus being a Torah observant Jew and he needed to be Torah observant because he kept Torah perfectly for us, you know he 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 was wearing these as deuteronomy fifteen commands, but what she's saying is false, so already the twist is starting to take place, and it's subtle, and you've got to know your Bible to detect things like this.
8: There was a whole crowd of people who believed in Jesus, who were excited about him, were seeing the miracles happening, but one person actually intentionally made a connection that saw power released and the promise come about. You know, we can be in the crowd celebrating what's happening, listening to the testimonies.
0: Now notice what she did there, also really subtle. So we can be in the crowd. Now she's putting us in the story in a very weird, narcissistic, eisegetical way. But, man, it's clever. It's really clever. She wants us to connect with the woman. And so now the application is we've got to reach out to grab the promises rather than just be in the crowd. Oh man, this is slick.
8: Celebrating God. We can be in worship, saying isn't this great? Oh, didn't you love the mandolin and the the cello? I mean, it's just awesome.
0: Yeah, so yeah, what's going on there? At Glory City Church is like the crowd that was around Jesus while the woman surfed on in and touched his tassels. Again, Really slick twisting of scripture.
8: Yeah, I love being in the house with my family. This is awesome. And that's all really, really good. But there will be some people who will be there. I've been there. Yeah, we, I was there. It was awesome. Wasn't that great? That was a great message. It was a wonderful time of worship. Heard great testimonies. Felt really loved. And there's others who will have had an encounter with God in the worship or through the message. Because there is a difference between being part of the crowd and being one who is intentional to connect. Uh,
0: No, That, that has nothing to do with this text. As if somehow the people in the crowd were all to be faulted, where this woman is to be praised. That's not what's going on here. And see, she had heard that Jesus heals, and she had faith in him. And so the punchline: Your faith has made you well. The question is, faith in whom? Faith in whom for what? Her faith in Jesus—that he could heal her. That was what. You know. So, oh man, it, it, this is again really, really slick twisting of Scripture. And this is a common thing here. So now I'm being—I'm being made to feel guilty, and ask the question: Am I? Am I? part of the crowd, or am I going to do what it takes to reach out so that I can have an encounter? That's not what Luke 8 is about at all. Runala is putting a very heavy burden and load on people because she's twisting the biblical text.
8: God's looking for us not to get caught up In just what we're seeing, because there is...
0: No, don't get caught up like the crowd did. you got to be like the the woman who reached out and grabbed the stuff. That's not what this text is saying.
8: ...much that's happening right now. The Holy Spirit's at work and doing wonderful things. But he wants us to be deliberate to be making that connection with him. You know, I know myself, it's so important to me. Worship, the reason we really prioritize worship at our house is because... I myself was converted in worship. I knew about Jesus. I believed in him.
0: But when she finally in worship reached out and grabbed Jesus' tassels, she was able to have an encounter, and you can too.
8: Um, but I got real with him one day as a teenager, and I just said, Lord, I can't see you, and I don't know you. I, I'm lifting my hands like everybody else, but it's really hard just to sing a song, and sing about you, sing to you when I, I can't see you and I don't know you. <laughs> help. I just got really real with him. And as I did that, he did help. And all of a sudden, the eyes of my understanding were enlightened and from that moment on, I was different and I never backslid. Whoa. Ah, There you are.
0: She was different and she never backslid. You see, she reached out and touched the tassels and, and had the encounter and you can Have the encounter, too. Yeah, like I said, very, very slick twisting of Scripture. Very slick. But very common way as well. And that's not what this text is about. And when you twist the text this way, again, you put a very heavy burden on people. Very heavy burden. Because now you're sitting there going, well, am I going to be part of the group that reaches out, or am I just going to be part of the crowd? Am I going to... Am I going to have the encounter or... Yeah, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, that's why this stuff is so, so terribly bad. All right, we are up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Higher Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're going to be listening to the sermon titled Sweet Dreams by Pastor Penny Maxwell. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Peter, James, John, and Paul are all dead. That means there are no living apostles in the church today. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hi, Christian Radio Theatre presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... Rah!
6: You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hey, everyone. It's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious, it's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and... It's, it's coffee! There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical... somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient resealable bag with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. That's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to Gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E.coffee.
2: Rex out!
0: Sermon review time. Come to think of it, I may have never reviewed a sermon from Penny Maxwell. Hmm. No, maybe I have. I to think about it. I have to go back through the archives. Let's do this right, though. Got the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Freedom House Church. Penny Maxwell presiding. The name of the message is "Sweet Dreams." Not sure what that has to do with a biblical doctrine or teaching or text, but I guess we're going to find out. So we're going to get right to it. Let me go ahead and back off on the music. Without any further ado, here's Penny Maxwell and Sweet Dreams. Here we go.
1: For you who I do not know, my name is Penny Maxwell. My husband and I are the senior pastors here. He is actually...
0: Yes, he didn't know she said we are the senior pastors. No, God's word doesn't allow women to be pastors. Sorry.
1: ...at our South End campus this morning. But can I just tell you, um, in between services, I noticed that it was raining outside. But I looked at the weather report, and it was only a 20% chance of rain. So we were talking down at the South End campus, and they don't even have a sign of rain, nothing whatsoever. So I determined that there was just the glory cloud hovering over this campus. Uh Uh-huh. And I just... I'm
0: sure she's speaking
1: tongue-in-cheek. ...that up, but I'm going with it, right? I'm just saying, that's what I'm determining. Well, we have been in a series called Sweet Dreams, and this is the last weekend of the series, but I have been loving it. I love the video that showed pre-roll that is basically saying, listen, maybe your dream didn't die, maybe it just changed.
0: Yeah, so what do you do when uh, your entire church's theology is based upon the idea that God has a special dream destiny thingy that you're supposed to Receive from him and then it doesn't happen which means they keep telling you your breakthroughs right around the corner well what if your your dream hasn't died it it just changed on you and god forgot to tell you oh that's an awkward situation
1: talk about that a bit today let me ask you this question though have any of you ever pulled out your glasses and there was a scratch or a smudge across them and you had a hard time seeing anybody raise your hand show me Okay, so that happened to me the other day. I was driving down 77 and my husband gets a little nervous when I drive anyway, um, but I'm just saying I'm a good driver and I was driving down 77 and I needed my sunglasses. So I'm like reaching over in my purse, but I'm still keeping my eyes on the road, right? Okay, I am. And I'm like digging in my purse. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, I need my sunglasses. And so I pulled my sunglasses out And I go to put them on because how many of you know in the morning on 77, it just is right in your face, right? So I put my sunglasses on because I had somewhere I needed to be, somewhere I needed to go, a destination that I needed to reach. But when I put my sunglasses on, I couldn't see because my entire left side of the lens had a smudge across it. So instead of thinking about where I was supposed to be, I had to spend my time cleaning the dirty lens, right? It distracted me and it got me off a little bit. And I started thinking about how oftentimes that's how life is. We have somewhere we need to be. We have a destination that we are supposed to arrive at. But possibly we could be looking through a dirty lens and it is hindering us from getting to where we need to be.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Where is this, these dirty lens doctrines taught in scripture. Can we get the uh, the ancient worlds equivalent of this so we can see it from a biblical text? Notice her metaphor, her analogy is what's in the driver's seat right now. It's literally framing the doctrine that will follow, which means there's a good chance she's going to end up proof texting, ripping verses out of context to make them fit the metaphor that she's created. She didn't draw this from a biblical text She drew this from a life experience.
1: And I determined in life, I think there's two, what I want to call factors there's the me factor, and then there's the God factor. And I want to talk about both of those today. And I want to read you this quote by Christopher Reeve, because I thought it was really good in explaining the me factor when it comes to our dreams. He said, So many.
0: Who's Christopher Reeve? He's not one of the biblical authors. Notice the Bible hasn't shown up yet.
1: Our dreams at first seem impossible. And then they seem improbable. And then and then when we summon the will, when we summon the will, they soon become inevitable. So that
0: Right, just because Christopher Reeves said so. So are you summoning enough will for your dreams to become inevitable? Thus saith the prophet Christopher Reeve, apparently.
1: The me factor. There are times in my life where I'm going to have to summon the will that's inside of me to accomplish the dreams that God has for my life, that he has placed in my heart. And then there's the God factor as... Where in
0: scripture does it say God's going to place a dream in your heart? No text says this.
1: The Apostle Paul writes about Ephesians 3.20. Now glory be to God, who by his mighty power at work within us. We
0: recently covered this, pointing out that Ephesians 3 here, this portion of Ephesians 3, is the benedictory thought of a prayer in that part of the epistle to the Ephesian church.
1: Is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond. our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. And can I just say to you that I am so glad that we have the God factor involved because oftentimes when things are presented to me...
0: You're, You're glad we have a God factor involved. I don't know what that means.
1: You know, oftentimes I look at things as a problem. Instead, God looks at a problem wrapped up and it's really an opportunity. But when things are oftentimes presented to us, our first glance, our first thought is this is a problem. But do you know most products in the United States were developed because of a problem? Most every product you use was developed because of a problem. Do you know that most companies that are in the United States today, most companies are around and exist because there was a problem that needed answering? Same thing happened at a wedding in the Bible. Jesus shows up at this wedding, and he was just there to attend the wedding.
0: Mm, Yeah, see, Jesus was there to problem-solve and stuff for the wedding problem thingy. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, no, she's proof-texting for sure.
1: But his mother, Mary, comes over to him and says, Hey, Jesus... Um, you understand the way that things look in our culture that we 're in, and the wine has run out and at a wedding that 's a big no no it was such a huge culture of hospitality for, the, for them to be out of wine when these wedding ceremonies would last for hours and hours and sometimes it'd even go for days it wasn 't a good thing that the wine ran out, so Mary approached Jesus. And then after she approached Jesus, she went over to the servants and she said to them, listen, I need you to hear me. If he comes to you and he asks you to do something, whatever he says to do, do it. Whatever he says to do, you need to do it. So a little later, Jesus comes over to the servants and he says to them, bring me some water. Have you ever wondered why Jesus said, bring me some water before he turned it into wine? I mean, he's the son of God. He didn't need water. He could have just said, poof.
0: Now, note uh, here, she's going to claim to know the exact reason why. And she is going to lay a heavy burden on people here in just a second.
1: There was the best wine ever. But he didn't do that. He asked them to bring something. He was trying to invoke something in them because it's really hard to run when you're not even moving yet. So he says to them, you bring what you can, and I'll do what only I can do.
0: He didn't say that. And by the way, the real significance of that miracle in part, is found in the fact that he changes washing water into wedding wine. Both concepts are theologically charged ideas in Scripture. It has nothing to do with you do your part and I'll do my part. You bring what you can and then I'll do my my thing. This is a form of synergism at best, and she is totally twisting Scripture by proof-texting And now engaging in eisegesis, putting words in Jesus' mouth that he did not say and this text doesn't even remotely mean.
1: But oftentimes, when he asks us to do something, we don't necessarily do it. But there's the me factor and the he factor. And if there is an issue going on and our dreams aren't being accomplished or something's not happened, could I submit to you today that it's not the he factor that's the problem. Maybe I need to take a look at the me factor.
0: Right. So the dream that God put on your heart, the destiny you're supposed to fulfill, the reason why you're not getting your breakthrough, it's your fault. Again, heavy burden here indeed. We continue.
1: You know, I was saying earlier about all these products and companies that were started because of problems. Did you know, let me just ask you this. How many of you in here right now, there is a situation in your life where you need a miracle in? Could you just raise your hand? You need a miracle in something.
0: You need a miracle, but you got to do your part, man.
1: Do you know that miracles were made for problems? If there wasn't a problem, there would be no need for a miracle, right? But dreams can arise out of negativity. Dreams can arise out of problems. Just ask Milton. Milton was a young man who was working at a printing press, and he
0: Milton is not found in the Bible. I just want to let you know.
1: Went to work that day, and he had a hat on. And as he was working over the printing press, his hat fell into the press, and it jammed it, and it broke the machine. Milton only had a fourth grade education, so when his boss came in and fired him that day, he wasn't quite sure what he was going to do or how he was going to get through. So he went home, he talked to his parents about it. He still lived at home at the time. And they said, well, Milton, whatever you do, you're going to need to find a job because you're going to need to help contribute and pay bills here. And his mother said to him, but I heard there is a candy factory down the street that is looking for some help. I saw a sign. Why don't you go apply and see if you can work there? So Milton did. And while Milton was working there, Milton actually discovered that he was really good at making candy. He actually perfected making creamy caramels. So eventually Milton decided to go and start his own caramel company. And he did, and it started to expand and grow really big. And then he decided, you know what? I had this dream. What if, you know, my ancestors are all from Europe. What if I could actually take this stuff that they eat over there and introduce it here in the States? What if I could bring milk chocolate here to the United States? Do you know I love Milton for dreaming because his dream affects us all? Isn't that the truth? That when God gives you a dream, it's not just about you.
0: So God gave Milton the caramel milk chocolate dream thingy. Okay.
1: Dream affects and touches everybody else. So thank you, God, for Milton. Thank you, boss, for firing him. So Milton decides that he's going to sell the caramel company. He's going to devote his the rest of his life and, and earnings into trying to get this milk chocolate company off the ground. He ends up doing it, and Milton Hershey became so successful. Hershey, Pennsylvania, Hershey's Candies, right? Then there's this guy named Theodore. Theodore really wanted to be a writer, but this problem was... Because there's always a problem attached, correct? The problem was, is that 27 different publishing companies had turned Theodore down. Said, your writing is quote-unquote rubbish. You're no good. You probably ought to think about not becoming a writer. But Theodore had this dream in his heart to become a writer, So he was walking home this one day and he was feeling a little discouraged, but there was still a spark in there, you know, and he runs into a friend on his walk home and he says to the friend, he's like, how are you? I haven't seen you in a long time. And his friend says to him, yeah, I I started this kid's book publishing company. And he says to him, oh, you know, I've tried 27 times to publish my stories. Did
0: she get this story from an MBA book or a popular business book? Why is this a God dream?
1: But he would take it. And the guy says to him, I know that, you know, a kid's company isn't exactly what you were looking for. But why don't you, Theodore, why don't you give me some of your stuff, write some kids books, and I will publish them for you. So he decided to do that, and he ended up publishing his books, and we know him better as Dr. Seuss.
0: No way. Oh, there's a total God dream here, man. See, because, you know, Hershey and, and Dr. Seuss, God is going to give you a dream, but, you know, you got to do your part.
1: It came from a problem. Then there's this guy, Walt, who was working at a newspaper, And he got fired because the newspaper said to him, and I quote, you are not creative enough. You are writing a story about a mouse and our target audience is stay at home. Moms, they don't like mice. Women don't like mice. They don't want to hear a story about a mouse, but you're writing about a mouse. And even when you put a bow on the the girl mouse, they still don't want to hear about a mouse. Women don't like mice. And he said, okay, I'll write another one. And he writes another story. And he writes about three little pigs and a big bad wolf. And they say to him, women don't like dirty pigs. And there's only four characters. You can't do an entire story on only four characters. You're fired. No more. You're done. Walt goes home. He decides he's going to start his own business. Does anybody know what business I'm talking about? Walt Disney, come on somebody from a problem. There was another guy who was trying to figure out a way in his house to clean the wallpaper because his wallpaper was really dirty, but he knew that he couldn't scrub it or the actual wallpaper itself or the design would come off. So he's trying to figure out how do I clean the wallpaper? He had a problem. And he's trying all these different solutions. He's trying to figure out all these different methods. And then one day he does something and it ends up not working. And he sits this little ball of stuff down on the floor and his kids come over and start playing with it. And he said, stop playing with the dough. Put it down. And then he realized, wait, if my kids like this, maybe other kids will like it too. And he marketed something called Play-Doh. Play-Doh. When he was just trying to find a problem to his, a solution for a problem to wallpaper dirtiness. And then there are these soldiers who got deployed into battle. And on breaks, they, they really wish they could have some chocolate, but it kept melting in their pockets and it kept melting in their hands. And they realized that they weren't able to have it out on the battlefield. And then somebody got this bright idea. They said, what if we put a candy coating around the chocolate and then it would melt in our mouth and not in our hands? Where do you think that product ended up? What's it called? M&M's. This is my personal favorite. In 1893, there was a cook who was in the kitchen and he was working at a restaurant and he sends out French fries to a patron who orders them. The patron sends them back and says, they're too soggy and they're, they're too thick. I don't like them. So the chef says, okay, well, I'll, I'll fix that. He makes some more and sends them out. The gentleman eating at the restaurant did not like them again. And he sends them back in. He says, they're still too thick. They're not crispy enough. I do not like them. And the chef is like, my goodness, three more times that happens. He sends back the French fries and says, they're too thick and they're soggy. And I don't like them by this point. The chef is really mad. He feels like his culinary skills are being tested and he doesn't like it one bit. So he says to everybody in the kitchen, I'm going to shut him up once and for all. You watch this. And he takes the potato and he slices it as thin as he can possibly slice it. So thin, paper thin. And then he says, I'm going to fry those things till they're stiff. And he sticks them in the oil and he fries them till they're stiff. And then he goes, I'm going to dump salt on top of them. And I'm going to send them back out there. And I dare him to complain this time trying to annoy the man because he's himself annoyed. The guy loves him, and thus is born the potato chip. Come on, Jesus. You see?
0: Come come on, Jesus. Um, what? The miracle of the birth of the potato chip. And you're basically... By inference, saying that God's laying those types of dreams on the hearts of the people at your church. So the 21st century equivalent of the potato chip is going to be invented by somebody at your church. What is this?
1: See, most see problems, but only some can see potential. Most will see a problem, but only the dreamers, only the dreamers will see potential. Those who see opportunity instead of a problem, those are the dreamers. Now, I want to explain something to you. There is a difference between a dream and a pipe dream. Okay, everybody with me? There are three things that you need to possess in order to see your dreams come to pass. You see, a pipe dream is something that's not going to happen because there's no umph behind it. It's a pie in the sky, one day, you know, frilly.
0: Where did Jesus teach the important distinction between dreams and pipe dreams? Or one of the apostles or one of the Old Testament prophets? Can you give me an example of that from Scripture?
1: But a dream, you can put some legs to it. So let me tell you three things you need to have as a dreamer. First thing you need to have is you need to have foresight. Foresight. The best way I can describe foresight is to think about a telescope. What does a telescope do? It sees way out there. It sees what's coming. It sees something that if you were just looking in your here and your now, you wouldn't be able to see it. But with that telescopic lens, with that telescopic view, you can see way out there. You can know what's coming before it comes. You can see what's happening before it happens. Foresight. Telescope. Then there's insight. Insight. The second thing you need to possess is a dreamer. Insight. What is insight? If foresight is the telescope, insight is the microscope. What's underneath? You know, what's, what's really going on in this situation? What's really happening? Let me dig Let me magnify this a little bit and see what's really here. What's really going on? Because we can't solve problems until we know what the real issue is. And most of our dreams are fixing a problem. So how can we go underneath the surface and figure out? And then the last one is oversight. You got foresight, insight, oversight. Oversight is like the drone view. It's like the bird's eye view. It's like going 30,000 feet up and looking from a different vantage point. Because you see, all of these people, if they would have just looked from where their vision was this far, they would have only seen a problem. But when you are able to go out and fly above and look and see the forest through the trees, then that's where dreamers kick in. You get a different.
0: So you'll note that the ideal Christian life is you being a dreamer like Walt Disney, like Hershey, like. Yeah, this is there's no repentance, there's no forgiveness of sins, there's no placarding of Christ and Him crucified for our sins, there's no call to holiness, repentance, and you know, living our lives now in good works, you know, for our neighbor. None of this, so this is a false, unbiblical view of sanctification that is scratching itching ears and making it sound like what God really wants you to do is to be a rich billionaire inventor type. Uh
1: Uh-huh. Perspective, because you see, the problem isn't really your problem. Your problem is how you're looking at your problem. Our problems are never our problem. Our perception and our perspective is... So how do we do that? How do we keep seeing and keep dreaming when things just keep coming at us? How do we keep...
0: The problem we have is that we are sinful. We are at war with God. We have incurred his wrath because of a rebellion against him, and we need to be reconciled to God. That's our problem. Not, the, not some annoyance in this life
1: lens clean when the tendency is, is to want to look through that lens and feel like, mm, I don't know. See, the problem wasn't with your dream. The problem was that we were looking through the wrong lens or maybe, maybe it was just a little dirty Oh we needed to clean it off a little bit. So how do we do that? Let me just tell you what my high school coach told me. And just for those of you who look at me and go, she played sports. She did. It was long ago. I played fast pitch softball and I loved fast.
0: I'm glad we're going to hear from your high school coach. When are we going to hear from Jesus?
1: Softball, because it was a lot like baseball. We got to steal bases. We got to slide. We got to bunt. We got to do all the things that in regular softball you couldn't do. So I loved playing fast pitch. And I will never forget. I was getting up in the box. Some of you don't believe me. I brought a picture. I brought a picture. That's me. With my 1989 permed hair. Proof right there. That is, there it is. There's another one. That is me with my perm. That is 1989, my senior year of high school. I was Penny Compton then, 17 years old. Straight out of Compton right there. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. 17 years old, my coach said this to me. And when I went to college and I would play sports in college, this is what it always stuck with me. She said two things very specifically. She said, when you get up in that box, you need to square yourself off, right? You square off. And I knew, I knew my stance because I'd been playing for a while. I knew you got, you got to, you know, bend your knees a little bit. In other words, you got to be a little bit flexible, Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not get bent out of shape. (laughs) You got to be flexible, right? Right? Because sometimes God's timing and our timing don't line up. But I would propose to you, it's probably our timing that needs adjusting. So we're the ones that are going to have to be flexible. God is not, right?
0: So she's even added her own B attitude. Blessed are the flexible. Yeah, none of this is biblical. I don't know why these people call themselves a church. This woman shouldn't be preaching either.
1: All right, back to to softball. Y'all ready? All right, so my coach would tell me, she's like, get in the box, square up, and you know you got to bend a little bit, bend your knees, you know? Here you go. The ball is coming. I got my elbow up. I got my shoulders back. The ball is coming, and I never knew what kind of pitch was coming at me. It could have been a curveball, it could have been a fastball, it could have been a changeup, could have been a slider. I didn't know what was going to be hurled at me. I just knew that I needed to be ready. I also knew that whatever's coming across, this is what you don't do. Our tendency when things are coming at us fast, right? And we go to swing. The head goes.
0: Man, this is just absurd. I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to speed this thing up because this is just nonsense. We continue.
1: Your coach will tell you if you've ever played, do not ever move your head. Your eyes follow the ball all the way across the plate. So this is what it looks like properly. I'm watching as I'm hitting that ball. I never take my eyes off the ball. Here's the other thing that is a problem. Many times when we're getting up there and we're in the batter's box, that means that means I'm. it's my turn. Right?
0: Yeah, whatever you do, don't take your eyes off the ball. and It's your turn when you're in the batter's box. Got it, yeah.
1: Maybe your turn, but you're going to have to swing and hit. So you get up there in the batter's box, and this is a tendency, right? If we're not sure 100%, or if we're like, uh, the tendency is to not follow through. We do this. This is a proper swing.
0: She's teaching us a proper swing here in a sermon.
1: That bat should always come through, and it should actually hit back and touch your shoulder, and you drop it when you hit it. But many of us are getting up there, and we're doing this. And you know what happens when you don't follow through on your swing? It's called a bunt. Many times we can bunt our way through life because we've taken our eyes off the ball and we're not following through with our swing because these pick-
0: Yeah, Yeah, no bunting allowed in Christianity, man.
1: Coming at us. They're fast. They're unpredictable. What's the tendency? The tendency is to get our eyes off the ball and to not follow through. And when we do that, we bunt. Now, some of you who have played the sport, you're probably sitting there, yeah, well, you can still get on base by bunting. Yes, you can. You can bunt and you can get yourself on first. But is that God's best for your life?
0: Yeah, see, if you're bunting, that's not God's best for your life. Total guilt trip here. Yeah, it's, I'm kind of happy that we've sped this up so we can get through this pain quicker.
1: God's best for your life just simply trying to get on first base. Or is the goal to get around the bases and come home? What is the goal? And in my house, we don't curse, but I've taught my kids to say this. I'm like the Maxwells, don't do things half donkey. <laughs> we will not do things half donkey. What? Some of you are like, what? <laughs> Think of another name for a donkey, okay? Okay, I'm just saying. We don't do things half donkey because our Lord and Savior did not.
0: All right, don't do things half donkey. I mean, I feel like I'm getting browbeaten here. This is like nag fest.
1: God looked around heaven and he said, I've got to send a savior for the world. Hey, Gabriel, you're good enough. Why don't you go down, Gabriel? I think you'll be good enough. He didn't do that. He actually said, I need the best. What is the best that I have? Jesus, you're going to have to go. And so every- Right,
0: because God had to do his best, right.
1: We take a step in this life. We have to ask ourselves, am I bunting or am I giving this my very best?
0: So you know, at least a hint of the incarnation and why Jesus came without actually proclaiming why he came.
1: Go with me to the scripture. It's in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It says, so it was, as the multitude pressed about him, meaning Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Genesaret, And he saw two boats standing by the lake, and the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their, that's not your question, say loud, washing their nets. Can you spell that with me, nets? The fishermen were washing their nets. Let's keep reading. Then Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, who was also called Peter, you can interchange those. He said, Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your Can you spell that with me? Let down your nets for a catch. But Simon Peter answered him and said, Master, we have toiled all night and we have caught nothing. Nevertheless, nevertheless, just to humor you, Jesus, because, you know, I'm really tired. I want to go home. We've already washed the nuts. But nevertheless, because you're asking Jesus, even though we did it and we know it's not going to happen, I'm going to humor you. So then what does he do? He says, at your word, I will let down the... Can you spell that with me? Is that what Jesus asked him to do? What did he say to do? It says, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their... Spell that with me. Was breaking. Could you imagine? Here's this fisherman... What would the dream of a fisherman be? To catch the greatest catch of all time. Fish equal dollars.
0: Oh, man. Peter missed it, man, because he only let down one net. Oh, see, totally missed it. He, He would have had all of his dreams fulfilled. He missed his dream fulfillment because he only let down one net.
1: Here he is, out there. Jesus himself sees him washing all these nets, and he's like, take those nets, lower them down. But because he was tired, he got a little smudge on his glasses, right? Because he was tired, because he tried it on his own, he determined it wasn't going to work, but he went ahead and humored Jesus. So he puts in one net because he didn't want to have to clean them all again. He only put down one net, and he brings that net up, and the Bible says it is so filled with fish, the boat began to sink and the net began to break. Do you think maybe that's the moment that Simon Peter realized, I should have put all the nets down? How many times does God ask us to do something and we just get on first?
0: Weird, Uh, because she doesn't read out the rest of the story from Luke 5. Which is so much more interesting than her nagging. Um, <clears throat> all right, so uh, let's we'll pick up Luke chapter 5, verse one. On, 1. on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Well, that's kind of fascinating. Let me check the Greek here. Um, Yeah, that's really weird. Luke chapter 5, verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets. Dictua, which is the neuter plural form of... uh Yeah, Uh, so uh, I'm sorry, but the Greek is plural here. The point she just made is not actually in the Greek. The Peter let down nets, plural, by the way. That's what the Greek says. So when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets, plural, were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Now here comes the punchline. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, "'Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord.'" And all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything, including their nets, and they followed Jesus. That's the point of the text. This woman has no clue what she's talking about. She shouldn't be preaching to anybody.
1: Just let that down. Because see, in the back of our minds, this is the truth. In the back of our minds, we're going, is this really true? Will you really do what you said you would do? Can I really trust you? Because if we did, we would have no problem letting down the nets. But because it's easy, sometimes we'll do.
0: Again, that's weird because in the Greek text and in the ESV, it's nets, plural. They let down nets, not just one net. Nets.
1: Turn to me, to the scripture in your Bible, Second Kings chapter 4. In this story, there's a widow woman. You feel bad for her because she's lost her husband. She has two sons and she has nothing. The creditors are about to come and take her boys from her and sell them as slaves so she can get her debts paid for. So here she is. She's going through a hard time. The prophet Elisha comes up on the scene and listen to this interaction and what takes place. Elisha said to her, widow woman, what shall I do for you? Tell me what what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house, but just a jar of oil. Then Elisha says to her, go borrow vessels from everywhere. Everybody say from everywhere, from all of your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, and then pour into all of those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him, she shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her sons...
0: Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience for them to make decisions.
1: Bring me another vessel. And her son said to her, There in another vessel. There's no more. And so... The oil ceased. The problem, the bills were plentiful. The food was not. But the solution is, is God's trying to show up on the scene. And he's got the answer. Yeah,
0: that's weird because when you read the rest of the story from the Old Testament, then she was able to sell all that oil and had money left over for herself and her sons. Uh-huh. You make it sound like it's, it ended tragically, but it didn't. It ended with the sons not being sold into slavery.
1: But he said, go everywhere. Get every jar, every vessel you can possibly get. And you bring it back here. And you know what happens? It's not short. Look, let me just ask you a question. If I told you today when you walked into this building that there would be $100 bills, just depends on how many containers you bring, are you going to bring me a Ziploc baggie? Some of you would go to the trouble to go rent dump trucks and whatever else, right? Because we, we want God to move on our behalf as long as it doesn't require too much from me. I mean, God, I want you to do something big, but you know, if I have to go all the way down the street to get a vessel... If I have to, like, wash all my nets again, I- I'll just bunt and get on first. Now, Peter was able that day to sell fish and get money and eat from it. This widow woman was able to sell the oil and pay her bills to keep her...
0: Peter left his entire fishing business that day and followed Jesus.
1: ...from getting put in slavery. But when there's extra, we get to do so much for so many other people just because we chose to dream. The only limit in our dream is us.
0: This woman is demonic. How badly she's twisting scripture. God...
1: Do you know, as vast as the ocean is, 75% of our earth is covered by water. As vast as the ocean is, one simple ship will never sink, even though the ocean is huge. Unless, unless, that water is allowed to get inside. In other words, nothing can sink your boat unless you allow what's outside of it to get inside of it. What does your perspective look like? Because everything that we face, every problem, if we turn it the right way, is literally just an opportunity waiting. So Martin Luther King did. There's a problem. So what did he do? He had a dream. Are you still dreaming? No matter how big your problems are, no matter what's facing you today, no matter what's going on in your world, are you still dreaming about what could be? Are you looking through the telescope? Are you looking through the microscope? Are you doing the aerial view? Because that's what dreamers do. Will you stand on your feet with me today? I want to ask you this question. And not only do I want to ask you this question, I want you to ask yourself this question today. Does my determination equal God's intention?
0: (sighs) Does my determination equal God's intention? laying a really thick, heavy burden on these people, and she twisted these biblical texts. Peter left his fishing business. That widow woman sold all the oil and had enough left over after free, you know freeing her sons from being sold into slavery, had plenty left over for them. Wow, this woman.
1: Does my level of determination equal God's level of intention for my life? Issues aren't the he factor, they're the me factor. And you might say, but yeah, Pastor Penny, you don't understand. I've gone through quite a bit of loss in my life. I think the widow woman might be able to relate, but God still showed up in her situation. But you don't understand how many times I've tried to start this company and I've failed. We've been through bankruptcy.
0: No one is being confronted with their sins. Nobody is hearing about what Jesus has done for them at all. There's no repentance here. This is sick.
1: Through trials, you don't understand how many times I've tried. Peter might be able to relate to you. Sometimes you just need to try again, but you need to listen for the right voice. But you don't understand. Our family situation it has been kind of messed up. You know what's so good is that Jesus fixed a family situation at a wedding. First miracle he ever did was for a family.
0: Yeah, and that miracle, when you read it in John chapter 2, resulted in the disciples believing in him because of the sign. You're not having people believe in Jesus at all. You're just trying to basically convince them to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and guilting them, basically saying, if you're not really being intentional about it, you're not doing what God wants you to do. This is a mess.
1: Does your will and your desire look like God's desire for your life? In other words, let me say it like this. If you could only dream what God saw in you, would it look different than what you're dreaming now? If so, It's time to summon that courage up on the inside of us and say, hey, it's not over. It's not done. We're not quitting. I want to ask you today, wherever you are, whether you're online or whether you're in this room, if that is you and you say, you know what? I've let some things die in me. I need to stir the pot. Things are kind of getting stuck a little bit. I need to...
0: So they're not really guilty of any sins except for not trying hard enough to do the dream thing. Oh, my.
1: Stir the pot. Get out of your seat and come up here in the front.
0: If there's a... It's an altar call to revive your dead dreams because of your mediocre attempts at trying to make them come to pass.
1: this inside of you and you know it, you need to be up here. If your marriage needs a little stirring up, get yourself up here. Believe God. Trust God for your marriage. Your family situation. Whatever it looks like. You get out of your seat. You come up here because I'm going to believe God with you. For the miracle that is in motion. The biggest thing you can do to see miracles happen in your life is have an atmosphere of expectancy.
0: right do you have a atmosphere of expectancy in your heart you got to build one of those you know atmospheric thingies right it's in ninth hesitations in the bible yeah
1: when you have an atmosphere of expectancy internally that is the breeding ground for a miracle
0: says no biblical text anywhere. She's totally making stuff up here. Totally man-made doctrines. Might as well be praying to saints and and uh you know, praying to Mary and and believing in purgatory.
1: We are going to believe the God of miracles today for your miracle, for your breakthrough. Hey, if you're watching online, there's a hand right there you can click. We will agree with you. We will pray with you in that. Click that hand. We're believing God for your breakthrough, for your miracle. You guys just keep coming. You know there's something inside of you, and you feel a little bit caged, like it just needs to let loose, like it needs to come out. Let's tap into the very power and the presence of God today as we join together corporately.
0: Why would God's presence be there? I don't see any reason for it. You haven't gathered in his name, you're not preaching Christ. You haven't really handled his word. You're deceiving these people and basically preaching a completely different gospel than the one that's found in scripture.
1: Just lift your hands and begin to worship here in this room. Online do the same thing. God of miracles, we just call on you right now in the name of Jesus, the God
0: done i think you get the point that was abysmal and a complete abomination and there was nothing christian about it that woman is a rebel from beginning to end this is all she's a sign of the growing apostasy and rebellion against god himself and of all places places that call themselves christian churches wow so what'd you think Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.